The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Excited to have a first-time guest on today. Someone I've waited far too long to ask to come on the program. He does fantasy basketball, which means basically that he's as plugged in on what's happening in the league as everyone. And while I know a lot of fantasy basketball players listen to our show, even though it's not specifically about fantasy basketball, Josh has a ton to offer uh, about some of the rotation battles, what to expect with some of these teams going forward especially as injured players get back so i wanted to take stock uh, of where we are with uh, some of the rotations in the league here but uh josh lloyd how you doing man doing good so the place i wanted to start with you is just talking a little bit uh, about what you do what your process is I, i think your show in some ways is probably the most similar to what danny and i have been doing you're independent you're recording every day you have to follow every single aspect of the league um so how did you get your start? Because you were really totally independent at the beginning, right? Yeah, that's right. So I I started, I guess, it, it's fairly similar to how you were, were doing things in a professional environment. I was a pharmacist. And then as a, as a hobby, I started writing uh, about the NBA and writing uh, fantasy basketball stuff on, on a website I, I created for myself. Uh, that got a little bit of attention from some of the other sites and then uh, started writing on one of the other fantasy sites for, for RotoWire. And I thought I'd start a podcast. Seemed to be a bit of a gap in the market there, just recapping what was happening every day and did it there was yeah, slow going at first but eventually started to get a little bit more uh, steam behind it and got recognized by a few people onto a few different uh, networks and then ended up when David Locke started the Locked On Network uh, he uh, asked me to come on as one of the first podcasts on the show and uh, from there it's just really it's just really grown uh, from there and become you know, basically my full-time job I was able to well not basically it is my full-time job able to stop uh, working as a pharmacist about three or four yeah, years yeah for those who don't know I, my story is somewhat similar I was a lawyer uh, did some writing on the side, then started the, this podcast, and uh, I don't say it took off right at the beginning because it was a, it was a struggle for a couple of years there. But now uh, things are good, and and it's a full time job for me. Also, uh, like in those early days, were there a couple of moments for you that really stand out as like, okay, this is going to work? Like, I can really consider quitting you know a job that you obviously as a pharmacist you, you put a lot of study in to get to be able to do that yeah look it took a while to, to get to that stage and it took a lot of long days so i'd go to my job and work my nine or ten hours there then come home and you know, work five or six hours yeah you know, working on basketball stuff and, and recording shows so it was pretty tiring but it was just the the constant growth and you'd see it at the beginning of each season as you know people spike the nba season it's starting and then you see that the big growth happening and then you get people coming to you with, with offers hey we'd like you to to do this uh, would you like to um, bring your you know, podcast along with us we'd like to pay to advertise on your podcast all that sort of stuff and you go well this is there's something happening here and then you get those offers that, that come in where people can can actually pay you money to to do this and you go well, this is you know I, I can't sustain working 16 to 20 hours a day <laughs> obviously because nobody can and then you know 
I'd end up uh, I'd end up dead in, in about six months. So you got to you know, balance that out, and then you sort of take a bit of a leap of faith and hoping that that can stick. But it wasn't just like a, a blind. Well, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. It was like you got to build it up, and you got to put in that hard work of doing both of those things and, and stretching yourself for a bit of time, and then you sort of give yourself a, a time frame of like, well, I'll give it this long and see if I can sustain it. And if and then if you can make yourself able to sustain yourself on that one job, then you, you move forward. And that's sort of how it went. There wasn't one thing where I went, this is the this is the you know, final decision and why I'm making it, but it was more like all these things are coming together and these I can see it being sustainable. So what was your last day working as a pharmacist? Do you remember it? It was, uh, yeah, it was the end of, I think it was end of June in 2016, and then I was off to Summer League a couple of days after that. Um, you know, I'd sort of had it planned about six months in advance of that, and it was just sort of waiting for that um, yeah, end of financial year type situation over here, just you know, neatly ended off there, and then you know, sort of the end of an NBA calendar as well, then head into the next season and work solidly from there. So that, that was yeah, about, yeah, so looking at three, three and a half years ago from now. How long were you working both jobs? Um, I was working, let's see, I think I started writing in 2013, but I didn't really do the full-time basketball stuff until I was doing sort of little bits and pieces. Like I'd write a little bit um, for myself for the first year, but it was maybe 18 months of actually working sort of two full-time. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. I had about a six or seven month period of that. And that was just like absolutely ridiculous for me i've i'd also like just met uh the one who now is my wife at the time so i'm really glad that she liked me enough to deal with me not having that much time two months into our relationship and that she stuck it out with me but yeah i mean i still remember the day october 2nd of 2015 was my last day as lawyers also exactly eight years to the day after i had started working at, at the law firm that i was at i was actually uh doing a, a lot of different stuff like insurance law i was also uh, a plaintiff's lawyer so I, uh, it was it was hard to leave that but i definitely was like all right I, i'm not going to be able to realistically go through an entire other year doing this show five days a week the way i want to so i better just leave and see if this, i can have a go at it and i could always go back to being a lawyer if i needed to if it didn't work out was kind of my thought yeah, that's the sort of thing I, I thought, you know, see how it goes. We'll see if it can it maintain and if it, or if it stagnates or, you know, I can go back and I maintained my pharmacist registration for a bit of time after that. But then, yeah, I, I don't feel like I, I need to go back to it. Thankfully, at this point, who knows what happens down, down the track. But, yeah, it has worked out all pretty well uh, so far. So what's your process like on a daily basis? Uh, being in Australia, there's obviously a, a time shift. Like what's a, a typical day look like for you these days? Well, yeah, the, the time zone here, a lot of people do get confused about it. And they go, oh, man, you must be up all hours of the night. Well, it's actually not. It's perfect for us in terms of time. Like, uh, it's we're recording this relatively early in the day, but I get up you know, 6 or 7 in the morning, catch up on the news overnight. The games start here at 11 a.m. And the last game, if it's that late game on the West Coast, it finishes around 5 p.m. So it's basically just a, a normal work day. The last game finishes. I record my show. Everything's wrapped up have dinner, and then it's just on to the rest of my normal life in terms of that's how the day goes. So in terms of time zone, it couldn't be more perfect. So if people are looking to do remote MBA work, come and live here because the time zone is absolutely Yeah, perfect. when I was in Japan, which is a couple hours uh, earlier than yeah. you guys are, uh, at least parts of Australia, I think, where you live. But uh, yeah, I, I was like, oh, this actually isn't that bad during uh, the games. I can just watch a couple games during the day to keep up with everything. Um, so, all right, let's... Uh, oh, last question I want to ask you too is just, where do you get your news? 
Like, what is your, I mean, you just have to keep up on all this injury stuff and whatnot, probably even more closely than I do. Like, what's your, what's your news source if you're just trying to keep up with everything on a daily basis? We have a, a curated news feed that we get a bunch of beat reporters from, from all the teams. It's in a, a feed over on our site that, that I, that I work out in terms of managing all the fantasy basketball rotations and projections. So we have a, a news feed there through a whole bunch of guys. So it's, you know, all of the, the local guys, a lot of the athletic guys. Um, yeah, just, you know, three, four, five beat reporters from each team that come through the, the national guys as well. I monitor my own Twitter account to see what's going through. We have some official feeds that the NBA puts through in terms of their official injury reports and things along those lines, which we get uh, pushed through to us. But it's just a whole conglomerate of that stuff. And it moves pretty quickly at times, especially on those days when you've got you know, 10, 11 games on. Like you see the feed just rolling real quick and trying to keep track of everything that's happening. When five games start at once and there's inactives and questionables and starting lineup changes, it can get pretty hairy around that time. But we have it also curated into one feed with a whole bunch of different reporters to get all that news in. And then we disseminate that information. In one yeah, place. what's your site, by the way? So, so people have it here. I, I failed to announce that at the beginning. It's uh, basketballmonster.com. Basketballmonster.com. Yeah, I, you know, I use the uh, Rotor World NBA depth charts. That's a big thing that I look at. But pretty much every pod that I'm recording, I look at that. Not necessarily even for the news. Um, they actually annoyingly just change it where you can't mouse over and see what the news is about a specific player anymore because they want you to actually like click through and get more clicks, I would assume. Um, but just <laughs> no, to have every player in the NBA and every roster and every depth chart just on one page is actually just incredibly useful for me to just be able to like have as I'm talking, just to have that in mind and just see those names and like make sure that I'm not forgetting about anyone. Um, I, I find that find that pretty useful. But no, I, I should probably. Do you guys have something similar to that? Or are you? Uh, is it more like kind of like a news feed type of thing? No, we we don't. Have, I'm trying to think whether we have a we don't have a depth chart page like that as such. We do have you know, each player sort of yeah. depth designation next to them, but our stuff is more about the statistical uh, projections for each player on a daily, weekly, full season length sort of thing, and then trying to analyze that into values for fantasy basketball and it, whether it's points totals or I'm you know, using uh, standard scores and standard deviations and things like that to determine value, and then we you know, break it all down and try to determine each day how the 240 minutes are going to be distributed through each position and in each rotation and accounting for blowouts and home road rest factors and game totals and how all that's going to work out and we you know, put all that in to try and balance all the numbers across how a team's looked pace and all that sort of stuff so there's a whole bunch of calculations going wow that's uh that's totally insane i mean i guess there, there are a lot of people who are into fantasy would you be in favor as a fantasy guy of the nba going to like a 58 game twice a week type of schedule or do you like it better the way it is i like it better the way it is personally mainly i think it's mainly just because i'm so used to it but i think in that sort of a situation it would just become we already have you know too many people freaking out over small sample sizes and if you're cutting 30 games out of it like one person has a bad game and then the sky is falling for everybody um whereas now like you know people have a two weeks of shooting 30%. Oh my God, this guy's trash. I've got to get rid of him. And then he shoots 60% for the next two weeks and then it balances out. But if you're talking about you're cutting 30% of the games out, that's going to become even more amplified and you're going to have a lot of more uh, people overreacting to those small sample sizes. Yeah, but see, uh, like I love when people do that because then like it gives me something to talk about, right? <laughs> You'd be like, no, no, actually like, like uh, I, I mean, as much as I might be annoyed by it and kind of rail against it, like when the conventional wisdom is bad that actually probably like helps me in some ways to be like no actually like this is this is how it should be 
Yeah, that's true, actually, because it does give me a lot to talk about because, yeah, I get yeah, the people that tweet at me or ask me questions or post stuff in our forums and, yeah, do this and do this. And you go, no, just look, this guy has shot 50% for seven straight years, having four games of shooting 30%. I'm not going to overly panic about it unless there's something you know, really you know, weird happening, like his shoulder's hanging at a weird angle and that's why you can't <laughs> shoot. But, yeah, it does give you something to talk about to really push back, like, just calm down and take advantage of those people who are panicking, I guess. I uh, My opinion is that NBA fantasy uh, would be helped a lot by just having specific games on specific days to a week. Cause the whole, I, I don't know that much about fantasy, but the whole aspect of like, okay, how many games is this guy playing per week? Uh, and you know, should I have it in my lineup or not? Like that seems like unnecessarily complex to me. I guess it depends on the format of like how important that is, but that seems like something where you have to, for fantasy, keep track of how many games a guy is playing in a given week. It, it seems pretty difficult. Yeah. Look, I guess hearing hearing that come from you, someone who, who's not into fantasy, it does you know, highlight the the difference or, or the, I guess the barrier to entry for people who who aren't into it. Like for me, I just look at it and go, well, "This is just how it is," yeah. and I know that I've got to manage these things. And you know, if this guy's got four weeks, four games this week, then I'll add him onto my team. I'll benefit from those four weeks. He can go the next week, and someone else can come in and take that spot, and someone else can come and take that spot next week to maximize my games played for the week and and moving guys in and out. So I understand from a, a casual perspective or someone looking to get into it that it does make more sense to have it on the like we play monday thursday sunday or whatever it yeah. is and these are the days that everyone plays three games during the week i understand the appeal there but i guess just for me from being involved in it for so long that i'm just well aware of how the schedule vagaries work and how to use those to your advantage and you know, get that leg up on the people who don't understand how yeah it works. no i i think because for me i play fantasy football uh extremely poorly as danny larue uh, can tell you because uh, he, he actually joined our, our league this year. He's, like, he's in the championship game. Good job by Danny. He he had an expansion team, too. He didn't even have any keepers uh, because the like the guy who left basically got kicked out of the league because he was doing such a bad job. Uh, and Danny took that team to the, uh, the championship game this week. But in, in any event, uh, for me, I'm basically trying to just be in it with my buddies, spend the least amount of time. I know that there's like a game this week uh actually sometimes i'll even like not check it until saturday and realize that like some guy played on thursday and like didn't have it in my lineup so i I, because i'm so focused on basketball i mean there are plenty of casual fans the growth of fantasy football is really i think helped the nfl and fantasy basketball it's just it's really tough as you mentioned the the barriers entry so i think you'd probably get a lot more interest if it was you know people could do casual basketball fantasy leagues the way they can fantasy football because it's just it's too complex like for me if let's fantasy football were as hard as fantasy basketball i probably just wouldn't do it because i don't have the time yeah, I think that's true. That the NBA has taken steps to try and simplify that as much as possible because, you know, previously there wasn't any sort of standard point scoring system. It was all done based on, on categories like the traditional, you know, fantasy baseball rugby yeah. type stuff. So the NBA introduced us. This is our standard point scoring and they, they push that. Their official partners are Yahoo and they push that as their point scoring system to get the fantasy football converts to make it, you know, a, a lot less confusing for those people entering in to go, well, this guy averages 30 points. This guy averages 40 points, not like he gets three blocks and two steals, uh, 15 points and four rebounds and trying to balance all that because it can be tough. But that, that's you know, what my job is, is to try and make that information more accessible. But yeah, that, that barrier, they have done that and the increase in people doing it has been huge over the last two to three years, especially with that um, entry into the points formats that they have uh, tried to you know, push as a standard to try and grow the game as they've seen how the NFL has grown um, so much from people's interest in fantasy football. All right, let's, we'll get into... Uh... 
uh, some actual stuff uh, about this year's NBA season uh, right after this. Okay, I think the one that I'm most interested in, DeAndre Ayton is going to be making his return. I think it's tonight, actually, as we record this on Tuesday. Missed 25 games, had a career high in blocks, four blocks in his first game, and then immediately gets suspended 25 games uh, for using PEDs. How do you see things changing in Phoenix from a, a rotation playing time perspective when Aiton returns? Uh, I mean, we'll assume he is into his normal role in, in a, a couple of games here. Yeah, look, so we, we heard a little bit in the preseason, and I don't know where, if it was coming from Aiton, I think it was, in talking about how they want to play him at the four and play him and Baines together. I'm not so certain they're going to do that more than a, a couple of minutes a game. I think what we'll see, we're getting so much Frank Kaminsky, who's played almost you know, 28 minutes a game over the yeah, last... Too, too much so, Frank Kaminsky, I, I think we can all agree. Yeah, and I think that's also because Baines' body yeah. was breaking down. Like, he just couldn't handle that load. Like, he had the hip issue, then he had the calf issue, and he's come back and he's played under 20 minutes for four straight games. And I think that's what will happen. And we've seen that, yeah, he was so good in shooting at like, yeah, a million percent from three and you're really contributing to the Suns winning these games, but he couldn't handle it. So I think, yeah, him playing 26 minutes a night and Aiden playing 33 is just not going to be tenable. So he'll just move into that backup role. Kaminsky will go in there and go back to playing a lot more at the four. And look, I could actually see scenarios where he is out of the rotation and they just go with Sharich and Cam Johnson playing minutes at the four. Johnson's yeah, providing what Kaminsky pretty much does, except I think he can hit a layup and Frank has hit maybe one or two of those all season. So, <laughs> Yeah, Sharik has also been playing center, so I think he'll lose a little bit of that playing time there. Yeah, I thought it was interesting last night against Portland that Cam Johnson closed the game uh, instead of Sharich. Uh, and Sharich, to me, I mean, early on in the season, it seemed like they were trying to get him some of those post-ups at the rim, but he, he just has not been that dynamic uh, since uh, his rookie year when you know he obviously had a much larger role at that time and cam johnson is much more of a future Sharich is not under contract beyond this year though they do have a restricted free agent rights on him yeah i don't the, the four thing is interesting i would have thought before the season that that was just ridiculous but the way baines has shot it and also given some of ayton's defensive issues in the past that might make sense i guess then defensively though you're putting Aiton at the four and he's got to kind of chase guys around which I think guarding guys one-on-one maybe he could do that but for to have him like guarding a shooter uh and having to like crash in the lane and then get out to shooters you know I don't see that working particularly well either so I I agree with you I don't think they can play those two I think you try it but for because Baines has been so good uh but yeah I think ultimately like Aiton just needs to learn the center position defensively. Yeah, I think we're going to get a couple of minutes of crossover for them, but we're not going to get you know, a starting front court of, of Baines and Aiton unless we're down to you know, big injuries happening and Johnson and Sharich are, are both out um, and they don't want to go. Because they seem really hesitant to go to a lot of the um, you know, all-wing type lineups. I'd love to see them go you know, Bridges and Oubre and you know, Booker all out there together, but they, they seem hesitant to even throw Johnson out there and have Booker handle the ball for stretches of time. Like They just seem hesitant to do that sort of thing. So I don't think that's going to be a huge thing. But yeah, I think we'll get you know, two, three minutes a game, four minutes a game, maybe of that combination, but I don't think it's going to be a staple of what they do. Yeah, I mean, I would presume Aiton will start, if not the very first game, very quickly, or especially, be, I mean, I think you could make a very real argument that Baines, with the way he's played so far, certainly is better than Aiton, but you mentioned with his body yeah. being in his 30s, he plays that really physical style, it is tough for him, to, and this is now the second year in a row. Oh, he, he yeah, go ahead. He gets a smack in the face every game, pretty much. Baines, like he's in there. He gets he gets a blood nose. He gets hit in the eye. Like something happens to him. Plus the lower body stuff. And that's great, but you can't do it for thirty minutes. It, would you say he is the who is like the most popular NBA player, uh, Australian NBA player in Australia right now? 
Um, it's it's still probably Simmons, yeah. like you see some yeah, Simmons stuff, but uh, Paddy Mills. Any time that there's international play on, it, it becomes it becomes Paddy Mills pretty pretty obviously because he just turns into a different player in an international format. He becomes yeah Australian Steph Curry, pretty much taking you know every shot off the dribble and banging in thirty point games, and he becomes that guy that everyone is really into. But yeah, NBA season, it, it's Simmons because he's the guy who's you know, taking on that large role right across the uh, right across the league. Everyone else is sort of feeling a bit part time. Yeah. It, it- I definitely see that Baines inspires a lot of passion in my mentions. Uh, <laughs> Do you have that uh, Aaron Baines fan club Twitter account that gets gets into your um, Yeah, well, and then uh, it's the perfect storm with now that he's on the Suns as well. When you There's uh, a, a certain level of passion anytime something... I mean, Baines has been unbelievable this year. I've said that many times. But, you know, sometimes if, if he's, like, sliding under someone to take a charge, and I, I don't really care for charges. Um, but Baines, I mean, also, I think he just appeals... To Australians just because of the way he plays. I know a lot of Australians really like that kind of like hard nose style. Yeah, he's all he just he doesn't take any shit from anybody really, and he just gets in there, mixes it up, and and uh, he's just a, a big strong man who just yeah, just just takes the hits and uh, and rolls. A, with a worthy successor to uh, Mark Worthington. <laughs> yeah, we've got a, a long line of those. Like Luke Longley. Yeah, Luke. Luke though is it like because Luke was kind of he had a reputation of being like a little soft. Actually, I remember. Back for being like seven two and like three hundred pounds. I know Phil Jackson would always like kind of get on him a little bit for like not being not being tough enough. Yeah, when you see him in person, he is an absolutely gigantic person. He looks so big; it's 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 laughable. But I guess any NBA player, when you see them, any of these seven foot guys, they they just look laughably big. But Longley looks, I don't know, he looks he just looks like a house. All right, another big injury return today. De'Aaron Fox is supposed to come back tonight against Charlotte. What have they been doing in his absence, and how is his return going to affect things, you think? Well, they've been playing a lot of Corey Joseph. Uh, so he's been getting a 30 minutes a night. We've seen Yogi Ferrell get some of those backup minutes. There's a little bit of time where Buddy Heald handles the ball, a little bit of time where Bogdan Bogdanovich handles the ball. You would imagine that Fox comes in on a in a limited role initially. Like, that was a pretty significant ankle sprain. I'm surprised he's back this early. If it was indeed a grade three, that's normally a six to eight week type yeah. situation. He's back considerably quicker. So I'm really skeptical of how he's going to look and how they're going to manage him initially. And the history of these guys having these severe ankle sprains and how they return and play the rest of the season, especially guys that come back early, is really dire. We've seen in the past Jimmy Butler had it a few years ago in Chicago, Ricky Rubio in Minnesota had it, and they were just never the same guy for the rest of the season. Reggie Jackson would be another example of that too, I think. Uh, I think that was two years ago for him. They can't shoot, they can't drive, they can't get to the rim, their field goal percentage drops way off. And for a guy whose game is predicated on athleticism and speed, like I really worry what he's gonna uh, Fox is gonna be like, unless it just wasn't actually a grade three sprain and it was you know, maybe it was a grade two and he is back more within the the expected time frame. So that is something to watch as to how he actually looks. But I am really worried about how it's gonna go and if they've pushed him too early and if he's just gonna look even because he didn't look that great before the injury. Is he gonna look rough for now and it's gonna be a lot of hand wringing? Oh, what are we doing? What's wrong with Fox? whereas I think the ankle is going to be a real problem now. I think that Farrell just automatically goes out of the rotation there. We get you know, limited Corey Joseph minutes. But how the, the shot attempts, I think, is almost more interesting is how this all works. Because we saw the periods of time when Bogdanovich was really leading this team in terms of his offensive output. Then he had the hamstring injury, which put him on the shelf. And now Heald's doing so much. He's handling the ball. Yeah, how is all this going to work with Bagley back as well, playing a, a weird role at the moment? They've got a lot to try and figure out. And they didn't really have much of an opportunity to do it at the beginning of the season. Yeah, this is, to me, right now... Uh, both Phoenix and Sacramento with those two guys who just came back from injury drafted at the top of the draft Fox just coming back now as well 
those are some of the most interesting teams to me in terms of what the roles are going to be. The other thing that's fascinating is Rashawn Holmes has been too good to keep off the floor. But the whole idea of signing Deadman was he's going to space the floor. Now you can play Bagley at the four offensively. Let him operate around the rim. His lack of a three ball doesn't bother you as much. Instead, they've been playing Bagley at backup center where he looked okay against the Warriors. But, you know, that was against the Warriors uh, the other night. uh, And that was Sunday night. So Bagley has said that he expects to start. You can't really start him next to Holmes. That just isn't going to be enough shooting. Those guys have very similar games, but Holmes is probably better than Bagley right now. It's going to be a fascinating situation to see here where, you know, do they take Deadman back out of mothballs? Do they start Bagley and bring Holmes off the bench? They've been so good with Bielitsa, who, who frankly deserves time as well, but getting more minutes for Barnes at the four. Uh, if you're going to play two traditional bigs, then that's going to squeeze the minutes of Bogdanovich, who's been getting some time at the three, especially now that Fox is back. There's so many interesting things for Luke Walton to sort out here. And that was one of the things that he was criticized for in L.A. of not being able to establish a, a consistent rotation that made a lot of sense. I think he's done a, a decent job other than that. So I, there's just so many fascinating things here. And then you throw in how effective Fox is, how much he can push the pace. Like that's The, the Kings are probably the team I'm going to try to watch the most over the next couple of weeks here, I'd say. One of the things Walton was uh, I criticized him heavily for in L.A. was mismanaging the center rotation. And now he's got this big problem here with how this guy's work. Because you're right, Holmes has been significantly better than Bagley has been at any point in his yeah, short career. And he has yeah, really revitalized what this team was doing after they started so poorly. But the three games since Bagley's been back, it's been 25, 27, and 26 minutes for Holmes as Bagley is taking all those backup minutes. And it really has nullified what Holmes is doing. It didn't help that they had a loss to the Knicks in there as well. So that makes you question what those decisions are. Now, when they drafted Bagley, I was like, these guys are five. Look, play him as a five. Let's see what happens. Play Harrison Barnes at the four. Let's get these you know, wings in there. Barnes is better as a four. But they so they push back so heavily against it by investing in Deadman, by making that you know, Barnes is our three. This is how it's going to work. And now, when they've found someone who is actually good at centre, they're going, oh, no, let's just play Bagley at, at centre now. So there's so many confusing things there. Plus, there's such a heavy reliance on what Trevor Ariza is doing for some reason. He's playing 26 to 30 minutes a night at the moment. They're using him at times in preference yeah. over Bogdanovich. He's, he's got to be made. completely out of the rotation to me. But his minutes keep going up and up and up. Like He has not played less than 24 minutes in the last two weeks. And this is at times when yeah, he's playing the same amount of minutes as Bogdanovich. So is he going to be the guy that moves out? He should be, but I, I just don't know. There seems to be such a heavy reliance on him from Walton. I, I assume it's, it goes back to past relationships, but it just seems that he is playing too much, and that's going to put an extra spanner into these works because he's playing back up four as well at, at times, and him and Barnes play together some of the time. There's just so much confusion there, and an over-reliance on players who may not be helping them win or give the optimal rotation for them to be successful. Yeah, I think the thought with the reason is just that he's better defensively. And after a slow start, he's at least up to 34%. From three, he's just he's totally powerless to do anything from two point range at this point. He's just a, a pretty much a, a standstill shooter. Maybe he's a trade candidate as well. He's making twelve million this year, non guaranteed twelve million next year. So you know maybe like Dallas would be interested in giving up a second round pick and trading Courtney Lee for him just because Dallas really needs a player like him where it's Sacramento I mean I, I think he does help them defensively and he is an important depth piece and those depth pieces have been really important with Fox out for them to tread water here basically since his injury we thought they were totally done uh but yeah they're, they're really uh, I want to see what Walton is going to do here how much is Joseph going to play as well would they he's been really important again defensively but you know he's got like 44 percent true shooting on offense yeah he offers nothing. I'm sorry 
He offers nothing offensively. Yeah. Like he's just passive. Like he's had some nice passing moments, but he just is is such a struggle on that end of the ball. That yeah, how how do you fit that in? Yeah, I think because he also hasn't been asked to do much on the ball either. At least in Toronto and in Indiana, he would just be on the ball. He wasn't a, a great scorer, but he could at least get some penetration, dribble under the rim, try to set people up. But now you really want to have Heald or Bogdanovich handling the ball, playing with him. And so, you know, yeah, he's really powerless as an off-ball guy. But he is uh, probably their best defender uh, in the backcourt. And the, their defense getting better has been a big part of it. Um, Brooklyn, Kyrie and Karis LeVert. I mean, I guess Kyrie will be back uh, at some point. That that had to be rather frustrating for uh, Kyrie Irving owners that uh, this shoulder impingement, it basically kind of sounded, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounded like it was going to be like a couple of games and he's been out for like a month now. Yeah, it's that's exactly what it sounded like. Okay, he's going to rest the game here. He's got like a, just a little bit of a pinch in the shoulder and he'll be okay. And then we're talking you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, it's been especially a source of frustration because I had to deal with uh, yeah, plenty of irate people when I suggested that yeah, that he, he wasn't actually faking this injury in an, in an attempt to avoid playing back in Boston. That, <laughs> that was a fun day. That was a fun day on Twitter when I uh, when I tweeted that out, when I said, uh, yeah, I can't believe there's people who actually believe that. The amount of people, yeah, he definitely is. He's so soft. It's just pretty amazing that um, Brooklyn has played the last 30 games in a row in Boston, so Kyrie's had to fake all these games. So weird, <laughs> weird scheduling uh, quirk there, Nate, to see, uh, to see Kyrie play so many games in Boston. But look, it's frustrating. I mean, we just don't know. And Brooklyn is so secretive. Remember a couple of years ago, D'Angelo Russell's knee injury, and they just wouldn't say anything? He was there for about three months with it, and they just said, no, he's, he's progressing. He's uh, we're, We'll update as necessary, and we just don't hear anything it feels very similar with one of these injuries that's not a um not a set you know it's not a ligament tear it's not a not a fracture where there are set timelines it's just like it's something happening and we don't know like that is not great especially when it's coming from the nets who are super secretive about this stuff at some point presumably he will return at some point presumably karis lavert yeah, will return spencer dinwiddie has uh, been you know probably playing at an all-star level since Kyrie went down uh and, and he's you know, I thought that maybe he could be a trade candidate. And, and then, you know, you think of what happened, what it looks like when Kyrie comes or, or when uh, Kevin Durant comes back as well. I mean, that's a whole, whole other kettle of fish, uh, as Danny would say. So let's say Irving comes back, Levert comes back. You still got Dinwiddie. How do you see the minutes shaking out between those three guys? And then, of course, you, you throw Joe Harris at the three end of the mix also, potentially, if they wanted to move Levert to the three. The pretty wild thing about Dinwiddie is at the beginning of the season, he, okay, how I go through and, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, how do I get news? And I read a lot of, um, you know, the, the athletic stuff and, and local papers and also the fan sites and they were killing Dinwiddie. Like, oh my God, get this guy off the team. He's, why is he playing hero ball down the end here? He's turning it over. We're better off with him not on the court. And this is when Kyrie was playing and they were killing him and his minutes weren't great. He was playing like 25 a night. There's a stretch here. He played 20, 25, 21 minutes in these three games. And you go, well, what's going on here? What has happened with Dinwiddie? But since he's moved in the starting line, things are different because he has the ball in his hands. So I really worry about how that fit's going to be because there was significant criticism about how he was playing alongside Irving in those closing lineups. There was a lot of blame for Dinwiddie in some of those losses they had at the start of the season because of the way that he was playing and the way he was handling the ball in those games. So I think that there's some real concern about how those two are, are going to fit together. Yeah, it's, it's obviously a really small sample. We don't know how that's all going to work, but I think we're going to see his minutes you know, cut back pretty significantly into the you know, the high 20s at first, and maybe that comes back even further. It's the pick that pairing doesn't work uh, as well as what might be expected considering the individual level of both of those guys. I think Levert's pretty seamless, so he just moves straight into Garrett Temple's spot. 
who's been actually playing really well in those you know, 34, 35 yeah. minutes a night. Levert himself was struggling a little bit to begin the season, but he just moved straight back into that role. Temple goes into a, a role that was taken by Iman Shumpert and David Nwaba and those sort of guys, and they just sort of shift down one position. But the Dinwiddie one is really, really interesting because that, yeah, he wasn't good to begin the season and has really taken over as the number one guy. And now there's going to be some some push and pull, I think, will uh, will be happening here. Yeah, you know, I mean, Dinwiddie to me is just so much better than Levert. And at the end of games, I think he just has to be on the floor. And, you know, you, there should be enough room for two ball handlers at the end of a game. And Irving also had a pretty high usage, 34%, which I think would have been by far yeah, the highest of his career. So that, in theory, could come down now that Dinwiddie has established himself a little bit more. It's tough, though, to trade Dinwiddie, number one, because he was one of the big guys who cr- recruited Kyrie there. And number two, because you just haven't seen what this looks like yet with Kevin Durant. In theory, Dinwiddie is under contract for, you know, I mean, there, he'd be an upgrade for half the teams in the league as a starting point guard. You'd think he would fetch a, a pretty good price, especially with a, under contract for $11 million this year, $11 million next year. But it's going to be hard to really make a move with him at the trade deadline. Maybe it happens next offseason if KD is back. Um, uh, and then Levert, it's just like, like how good is Levert? at this point to you you know he had that one stretch before he injured himself he had a couple of good games in the playoffs last year but he's never really shot the ball well enough to be a great off-ball guy uh he's he's an interesting we, we value scoring so much in this league that uh, and, and we thought his contract wasn't that was lower than expected 18 million a year for three years um what's your opinion on how good he is just uh, overall as a player I like the potential of him, like that ball handling guy on the wing who can yeah, run things in a pinch, who has shown some shooting ability. That's mainly back in college. But the fact that he can't hit free throws at a, at a good rate is confusing. Um, the three ball goes in rarely. Like it's, there's a lot of confusion about him. And I'm probably, look, I'm always looking at him. I'm excited for what he can do because he has those flashes, as yeah. you said, before the ankle yeah. injury. And, and he just beats guys yeah. too. I mean, like when it looks good for him, it looks good. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing, like you get you get highlights and you get these twenty seven point games with, with six assists and you know, you know big big moves and, and you know, solid defensive plays and he strips the guy. Then he goes through these stretches where he shoots you know one of seven and you go like what what is going on here? And then over the the period of his career, like you know, as a, I think he's a sub seventy percent free throw shooter for a guy that should be a, a good shooter. It just hasn't come all together, and he was struggling this season before the thumb injury as well. So he wasn't like rolling like he was last year. And of course, now we're talking about significant injuries in each of the last two seasons. The injuries in college as well is there issues with how he holds his body in that sort of a situation that contributes to these problems. I I, I still have some hope in him, but it, it is draining pretty quickly for him to become anything more than a you know, really good supporting type player versus a key contributor. Yeah, forty four percent from two and in his limited minutes uh, so far this year it was only nine games uh before he had that that injury um yeah i mean i i'm hopeful that they'll play dinwiddie more than what you're talking about and that they might minimize things for levert a little bit also um and and joe harris they have to have on the floor the way that he shot it um okay a couple more quick hitters here victor oladipo you know not looking like probably maybe still another month or so for him 
to come back. Uh, but how do you see things shaking out in Indiana once he returns? Well, what's been interesting lately is Jeremy Lamb has seen his minutes reduced in each of the last four games. Uh, he was the guy that was starting playing 33 minutes a night. He has not gotten over 27 minutes in each of the last four games with guys like Justin Holiday and Aaron Holiday taking that playing time. So you'd have to think that he is in significant uh, at significant risk of losing a lot of that playing time when Oladipo eventually returns. Um, I think you'll see shots siphoned away from guys like TJ Warren, who is really just this sort of weird high usage guy that doesn't do a huge amount else, but he'll lose a, a little bit of that. Brogdon will lose some of his um, playmaking touches eventually as well, but I think that he will be more stable than, say, someone like Jeremy Lamb, who I think is going to, uh, he's already starting to lose out at the moment. I think he's going to yeah, drop back to a to a much smaller role after being yeah, really, really strong to begin the season. It hasn't been great for him and has been reflected in the way that McMillan has cut his minutes to put both those holiday guys in and give them yeah, 22, 23 minutes a night over Lamb uh, over the last week or so. Yeah. Uh- how much has McConnell been playing lately? I know that they have been playing him and Holiday together some on the second unit. You imagine that would be uh, at an end when Oladipo returns. Yeah, he's playing about 20 minutes to you know, 20, 21 minutes a night. So that, that'll go pretty quickly, I, I would imagine. And you'll get those, you know, Oladipo will take those 20 minutes initially. And then he'll, because we talk about, you know, when these guys come back and I have to preach this sort of stuff all the time is that when they come back from a year off, they don't come back in and play 35 minutes a night. We're talking about a guy coming in from a lower body injury that he's obviously, you know, causing a lot of problems. He's going to come in and he's going to play 20 minutes a night and, and then 24 minutes a night and then 27 minutes a night. That might take a two or three week process to get up to that. And then you'll see, yeah, how, how everyone fits in that time. McMillan will make more decisions, you know, based on who loses it. But you'd have to imagine the uh, immediate guy that goes here is McConnell out of that rotation because you, you can use the holidays shooting ability along side all the deep whereas mcconnell obviously can't do that yeah and doug mcdermott is shooting quietly 47 percent from three uh which i i hadn't realized until i looked at it right now so he the most important thing with mcdermott is he's actually taking the shots like he is super yeah. passive normally but he is a lot more aggressive and yeah I, i've killed him for years for just being that guy out there look oh man he's a great three-point shooter. that's cool but if you don't actually do anything or take a shot or put yourself in a position to make any sort of play, then you're useless. But he's actually providing that value and he's more aggressive and he's getting rewarded at times as well. Yeah, you know, obviously supplanted TJ Leaf out of the rotation, which is a good thing. Yeah, I, I wish he, you think of all the organizations that he's been with, probably the only one that you would consider a progressive organization is Dallas when he was there very briefly. He still takes more twos than threes, basically, which is insane to me for a guy who's shooting 48%. And you know, he's shooting worse on twos than on threes. And uh by the way, twos aren't are worth uh one point less than threes. I'm not not sure if you're aware of that, but uh like eighty percent threes. That's it. Just that's all you do. Just take threes. So another high profile actually let's take a quick break first uh, and we'll talk about uh John Collins in Atlanta. So another guy returning for suspension, John Collins, uh, he'll be back about four or five games here. Uh they've been starting Jabari Parker and Damian Jones. Alex Len is coming off the bench, even though I think he's better than Jones. Although his, uh, his all-star campaign, uh, I don't think he saw himself uh, playing behind Damian Jones when he declared he might make the all-star team this year. Uh, so Collins comes back. What does that change for uh, the front court rotation in Atlanta? Well, you're right about coming off the bench behind Jones, but he's playing more minutes than yeah. Jones at the moment. And 
to be fair, when he started at the beginning of the season, he was pretty poor, sure. and he's played a lot better in that, on that, in that bench role, so maybe that's the role that suits him. And, you know, Jones is getting you know, 12, 14, 18 minutes in the three of the last four games, and Len's playing 21 or 22. Uh, they've moved Bruno Fernando out of the rotation. I just think Jabari's going to lose a, a lot of playing time. He was getting, like, 22 minutes a night before Collins got suspended. He pushed up and started playing a, a lot initially, 33, but recently we've seen Lloyd Pierce. He hasn't hit 30 minutes a game, Nate, since the 27th of November, Jabari Parker, and that's without Collins there. So to think that he is going to have... Now, there was lots of people when he first started out yeah, replacing Collins. Oh, maybe they'll play them together and it'll be 30 minutes and I Jabari's back. He's, you know, he's been revived and they're going to play Collins exclusively at centre. Well, if they won't play him even 30 minutes a night now without Collins there, I just don't think they're going to commit to him being their starting power forward alongside Collins with his defensive issues. I think you'll see a little bit of that combination together, but Jabari is going to lose a fair bit of that playing time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see... Jones lose a little bit of more extra playing time to facilitate some of those Collins at centre minutes, but realistically, we're going to lose a little bit of, of Vince Carter and, and Jabari Parker, and Carter's been playing you know, 20 minutes a night in three out of his last five games. Um, they're relying upon him quite a bit, and I can see him losing a little bit of that playing time there as well when uh, Collins eventually... I mean, they that. just need some adults on this team, man. Like, it's really uh, just yeah. someone who knows what the heck they're doing uh, on both ends are just going to make good decisions. I, I do agree, when you look at the talent, clearly... Parker and Collins are their two most talented power players. Jones and Len haven't given them that that much. I mean, Jones has actually been like slightly better than expected lately, but uh, the longtime listeners of this show know that my expectations for him were uh, not high. So, uh, yeah, I'd be really interested to see it. I, I think they, they're not stopping anybody anyway, so why not just go with Collins at the five more it would be my thinking. See uh, if he can hold up there defensively. You know, I, I think he could be better than Damian Jones potentially. Um, he'll help on the, help them on the glass a lot where they've been like a really terrible defensive rebounding team. Jabari, uh, not known for his yeah, defensive rebounding either. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, if it were up to me, I would be playing him at center more. Um, but, uh, just because the, not even cause he's that great there, but just cause the center options are so bad. Uh, but it, that has not necessarily been the history, uh, of what Lloyd Pierce has done. What's your guess in terms of how much they played him at center through where, you know, however much he's played so far this season, Collins? Like, how, how much do you reckon they've played him next? We, we go through and I have to go through lineups every day to try and work out where players fit in position. So I've got an idea, uh, an idea like of how I've, you know, passed through the rotations. What percentage do you reckon he's played his minutes at center so far? So he only played what, six games? Um, and he also was coming off of like some of those hip issues. I think it was a hip. Uh, I can't remember if it was a hip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. early in uh, in camp. I'm gonna guess he's played maybe 25 to 33 percent of his minutes at center this year. I do recall seeing it a reasonable amount. Yeah, he's, he played 30% of his minutes so far, uh, 31% of his minutes so far at center. And he played 32 minutes a game across those uh, across those five games. So it's 161 minutes. So he played 30, 30% of those minutes there. So yeah, how much more can they stretch that? Like, can they push it to 45%? Is that going too far to get him to be you know, 16 minutes a night playing uh, as a center? And then you've got 32 minutes to split between Jones and Lenny. That's not outrageous you could give you know, 15 minutes to to jones and give 17 minutes to lynn like they could perhaps do it that way i think yeah a lot of it depends too do they want to try to match up collins minutes with trey young also i think yeah I, I think so and so that makes it difficult because young he'll usually play in three stints he'll start the second quarter he'll start the fourth quarter then get a another break so maybe you say he's our starting power forward then we fix it so he comes in and plays center with Young in that second stint. And then the last stint of the ha- half, we just leave that up in the air 
and see whether whether it was working better with Collins at center or power forward and what the matchups are, uh, whether we'll play him at center or power forward to end the half. Maybe that, that actually wouldn't be a, a terrible way to do it. Yeah, I, I can see them trying that. Look, they, I think they're well aware that they are just in a sort of figuring things out developmental type uh, role, even though some of their moves have been questionable in uh, a lot of the, the stuff they've tr- done over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, they still want to see, look, this is what, what can we do with Collins? Like, where can it, where can it work? How does it work with Trey? And that should be, and I'm pretty confident it will be their priority as we move forward. All right. Last one here. Zion Williamson. I mean, that's, he's got to be a massive disappointment for fantasy people as he has been for New Orleans season ticket holders and, uh, NBA, uh, national broadcast partners. <laughs> Two of, uh, have missed all this time. I mean, it's, he was just like going through shooter on in a very light fashion. Andrew Lopez reported that today. Uh, it seems like he's at minimum another month or so away. Also reports today that Drew Holiday, they will at least listen to offers for him, which was not the case before they want to hold on to JJ Redick. What is he, what is this team going to look like? You think uh, when he gets back from a, a rotational perspective? Um, look, it, it's, it's a real interesting because their rotation's been all over the place. Sure, you'd be well aware of this. At the beginning of the season, they were playing like 13 man rotations yeah. and everyone was getting 12 minutes a night minimum and it was just all over the place. And I think, you know, I've talked to, to about, about this with people that this happens so often, it happened in Dallas as well. It's, it's just a issue due to the re- reduced preseason that coaches just don't have time to figure this stuff out. So they use the first three weeks of the season to try and figure that stuff out. And it's been a little bit more stable recently. As for the, the Drew stuff, um, Will Guillory, I don't know if that's how yeah. you pronounce his name, he said today, he said he'd be shocked to see him go anywhere before the summer unless Drew went and requested a trade because the price is just going to be so high in his head. So these reports come out. And we hear them all the time. Look, we've, how long have we been hearing about Kevin Love being traded potentially to Portland? It's been about three years. <laughs> and this stuff doesn't necessarily go Yeah, but, but Drew, the, the, the difference there, though, I'd say, is Drew's actually good and he's on a contract that's not a complete albatross. Like, Kevin Love... Uh, the Cavs don't want to give up assets to get off of him, but nobody really, you know, Woj is reporting that teams want to get a first round pick for Cleveland to get off of him. I mean, Drew clearly has a ton of positive value to me. What would you think it would take if you were in David Griffin's shoes? Would you be looking what for a couple of firsts to get to you know, part with Drew? Well, I think the Mike Conley trade is that's like. You, you want to get way more than that, I would say. I, I think it's going to be difficult to calibrate the value because the last few star trades we've seen have been much larger returns, including the one that Griffin himself promulgated with the Lakers, have been much larger returns than we've seen historically. And I think some of the factors for that were this 2019 offseason where first the, the Knicks were moving poor Zingas. You, know, you just don't see, even with the ACL, a guy that young, getting moved uh they got a huge return for him uh when you consider the cap space that they opened up as well now that turned out to be dumb they didn't get anyone in that cap space but that was still a big return at the time then you look at ad you look at paul george the those trades again all of that is due to the drama in the summer of 2019 drew i thought he played at an all nba level last season he has not been as good this year but certainly a guy who's been pretty good in the playoffs he, he's great defensively he's got a ton of defensive versatility you would think there'd be a lot of teams that are really interested in him he still is uh under contract for let me look at it here it's under contract for another year and a half basically and then he's got a, the player option if i recall that is yeah that's right he, so he's he'll be a, another one of those 2021 free agents most likely assuming he's playing well to opt out of that 27 million so I think it's going to be tough. They are going to ask for the moon for him. Is he closer to Conley or is he closer to some of these big stars 
that have been traded you know he's i think he's kind of halfway in between so maybe it's yeah yeah, maybe it's two first rounders that are pretty good two firsts and a decent prospect you know not grayson allen level not utah first round picks but again you run into the trouble of well if you're going to give up first round picks and you're getting him you're going to be a good team that expects to be good so those picks are probably in the 20s if it's two picks in the 20s maybe it's just not worth moving him if there's a, a team that has a really young guy i mean i'll have to sit down with danny when he gets back and really think about potential destinations for him but you yeah go ahead sorry think about this is you know what does getting an extra two round uh, two first round picks mean when they've got you know, so many picks yeah. already coming their way that they, they become a stage where you just have too many picks and then you have to what find ways to either consolidate them or get off them because you don't have the room to put them on your roster and then you, they don't have room to develop those players we, we saw similar situations with boston having so many picks and so many of them just didn't actually turn into anything that they could use in you know, great ways like yes they ended up getting Kyrie, but you know, they still had so many more other assets that we're still waiting and waiting to see well, what's the celtics return on this like it gets to a stage where you do have too many and you know, maybe the thunder in that same sort of situation may that's why i think you know, chris paul or stephen adams trades and that sort of stuff like what are they going to get more first rounds so they've got like 20 first rounders in the next five years like how does that benefit well i, I do think that in their case uh, i mean they and the thunder are the two teams that have these big bounties they only have two extra firsts coming now uh but it's just because the they defer for so long it seemed like it was more right they got the 2021 lakers first that only goes if it's one through seven then it's unprotected in 2022. They've got the swap rights in 2023 with the Lakers. So, I mean, that that could help them, but it's still not an extra pick than what you would normally have. And then they've got the 2024 first that they could defer to 2025. So it's really only two extra picks that they have going forward. And I think the problem that the Celtics ran in, into was they were actually good when they had all these picks. And so now you can't develop all these guys you get the new car driving off the lot. They just sit there in the G League for a year. To me, you know, if half a draft picks work out, then, you know, that's fine. You don't really actually have that many good players that you have to find time for. Just some of them don't work out. And hey, you know, that's the cost of doing business. You know, that's kind of Sam Hinkie's approach with the process of like, hey, let's get as many of these picks because only half of them are going to work. I mean, I think you have enough resources to determine which of those guys are good and which aren't. But to your initial point, we just don't know what Zion is going to be, right? If Zion is going to come in and be so good that this team is like a playoff team right away, then I think that's more of a concern. So the fact that he's been out this whole time, I mean, it's just, and then to trade Drew without ever seeing them together, that's got to be really difficult for Griffin as well. The the lost information of this time when Zion has been out, he's going to play with Brandon Ingram for basically two weeks before the trade deadline and Drew two weeks before the trade deadline, if that like that sucks if you're trying to make a decision off of that. And the other thing, yeah, to factor in with that is, is that when we saw him in preseason, is he looked ridiculously good. And you go, well, I mean, this is amazing. Like I don't think anybody thought we'd see Zion coming in and shooting his 75 percent of his first two preseason games and not doing it flukely, just getting whatever he wants really at any point. You go, well, this is like this is amazing. Look what a start this is. Like of course preseason doesn't yeah you know, like one to one over to the to the NBA, but that sort of stuff that we're seeing in preseason was ridiculous from him, and it got everyone so excited to see how this is all going to work. So you've got this sort of tantalizing image that's fading away in the back and go, just remember what he did, remember what he did there and you're not putting it all together. It's not like you've never seen him go, oh, maybe it doesn't work out. You go, well, I, I have a fairly good idea that this is going to be really good and now we can't see it. And also defensively, I mean, that's I, I have a pretty good idea that he's going to be awesome on offense. I feel pretty confident in that if healthy, but defensively, it, can he play some center? I thought he looked pretty bad defensively in the preseason. 
again, you know, coming off another injury in the summer, maybe it, it looked uh, a little overweight, even though he was uh, playing incredibly well during during the preseason. So, yeah, I, 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 what were you going to say? Yeah, look, it is it is an interesting one to see how it all how it all pans out. I think he, in terms of how he fits in the rotation, I, I don't think they should be trading. It's weird to me that they want to, they desperately want to hang on to Reddick, but they you know, are listening to offers on on holiday. Um, yeah, look, obviously Reddick provides that that strong spacing, but if we talk about future building, like JJ's not. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's more just of a, a leadership type of thing for for you know yeah, they, they need like an old head on this team they don't really have anyone other than him yeah okay that, that has to be because it's you know in terms of if you're looking just from a purely basketball building perspective you know that doesn't fit that timeline but in terms of williamson fitting like, like we talked about all the depot he's not going to come back and play 32 minutes a night straight away it's going to be an easing in process he's going to sit games out but yeah they've got kendrick williams filling that spot at the moment and williams does things well enough to sort of hold you know defensively he can you know be okay, but if you have to lose him out of the rotation, then I think you live with it to put Zion back. That's a pretty easy fit there. Your Julie Local Falls already been removed out of the rotation, so that's fine there. You'll just get you know, Hayes and, and Favors and a little bit of Zion playing at center. I think his fit in that rotation is pretty seamless once he does return because they've got some of those guys there at the back end who could very easily see a reduction in their playing time. Yeah, the, the other interesting thing you have to think about if you're New Orleans is, is Zion like kind of a ticking time bomb i think the sixers feel that way a little bit with joel Embiid, another guy with a, a unique body type zion now has had a couple of knee injuries already he had one in college albeit in part due to a, some defective equipment so and he, he's got this body type that's pretty unique there's not many guys maybe lebron james and carl malone are the two you would look at that just were able to really stay healthy with these kind of crazy body types uh so are you thinking, hey, maybe our timeline's a little shorter with him than it might be for, oh, we've got a 19-year-old, we should be building for when he's 27, especially you consider, too, his game, you know, he's not a great shooter, you don't know how that aspect is going to age. So I, I think maybe you are in a feeling where you want to try and be good a little bit earlier. But again, you know, if we'd actually seen him, we, we might have more information to talk about this. I remember talking about this with Danny at, at Summer League. We were talking about Zion and the body type and, and the worries there. And yeah, this doesn't look this doesn't look great at this point for me you know, saying this. But I said to Danny, look, that's fine. You, we have these worries about these big guys and how their bodies hold up. But we've, we've also got to remember that a player like Zion, we've never seen anyone with that body type be able to actually do the things he currently can. Like no one who's that big can actually jump that high or move that quickly. So is there something in the way that his body is in terms of his yeah, his ligaments and his muscle and his his burst and his spring and does that translate to recovery or being able to deal with the extra body weight because he's doing things that you know, no one else can do in terms of a positive sense? Does that mean he can also you know, prevent against those things that we would normally see coming out of that body type? Now, of course, the knee injury now makes that pretty true, but it's the possibility that that's, that's something that happens with Zion is that he's just got such a unique makeup that enables him to do these things that make us all go, how does a bloke that big get up that high and move that quickly and, and be able to move like he's, you know, 50% body size? Does that actually help in terms of being able to recover or, or prevent those injuries that we would normally associate with a guy that looks like that on the court yeah a big bloke that that is a great way to describe <laughs> Zion Williamson that might might be the the best one that I've heard all right well thanks Josh uh, where can everyone follow uh, your work real quick before we go so I'm on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball and as I said earlier over on basketballmonster.com is where I do all of the fantasy stuff all right thanks again to Josh and uh we'll be back got two more episodes coming this week uh already got the decade tournament part two with Ben Taylor in the can so uh, stay tuned for that. That'll probably be Thursday's episode. And another special guest 
uh, finishing out uh, the non-Danny week here uh, on Wednesday. So uh, make sure to check back in. Also, Hollinger and Duncan, uh, we did a Western Conference mailbag this week. Uh, that was a lot of fun to do. Uh, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, that show, uh, same thing that Josh is a part of. So we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Till then. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.